I want to spend a couple minutes tonight uh, just explaining to you uh, very specifically about a worldview. What is a biblical worldview? This message I actually gave seven years ago here in at, um, at Central. And a biblical worldview is this. It's a view where um, everything is viewed uh, through the Word of God, the Bible. And many years ago, there was an experiment that was actually made. It was an experiment that um, some scientists had come up with, and they had they actually made some glasses that gave an upside-down view. And they had, some of their, um, they had some of their patients wear these glasses. And at the beginning of the, of the first day, I mean, the subjects were not able to walk. They, they were fumbling. They would actually get nauseous. They would get nauseated. And it was making them very sick. But as they continued wearing them, after a couple days of wear, these upside-down upside glasses, <clears throat> they actually um, became, um, became normal um, so that they could walk, they could drive a car. Um, there was actually one of them that was actually flying an airplane with upside-down glasses, believe that or not. But it became very, very normal to them because after a period of time, they got used to it. And they didn't even notice that they had these glasses on that were upside down. You see, when we use the Bible as a lens, we actually view the world much differently than the world does. But if you have a pair of glasses that are from, a, let's say, a humanistic or a worldly or a carnal view, perhaps as a Christian, for a little period of time, it will be very distorted. But after a period of time, that, that view that you're looking through, that carnal, worldly, humanistic worldview, became, becomes very, very natural. See, everything that um, is actually upside down, all of a sudden becomes right side up. You see, Romans 1, 19 through 32 actually speaks of this of this view in this very issue. This evening I want to take a few minutes to look at education from the lens of the Bible. Then secondly I want to take a look at um, education from the lens of our, nation, our nation's founding fathers. And then thirdly I want to take a look at education from a biblical perspective of where our nation is today. If you would please stand in the reading of, of God's Word, we're in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to start with verse 1. This is what it says. Now these are the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mayst fear the Lord thy God and keep all the statutes and his commandments which I command thee, Thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, and that thou day, thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, Israel, and be observed to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that, that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt 
I talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, that thou shalt be as frontlets between thy eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, that we can, we can meet together, Lord, and assemble together. Lord, I just pray that you will uh, speak, Lord, in the hearts of your people tonight um, on this issue, Lord, with education. Lord, I just pray that um, as my voice goes out, that I will not say anything, Lord, that you would not have me say. I pray, Lord, that uh, your word will go out clearly, and I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit will convict hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. I love history. I am, I just, I just love history. In fact, when my kids were growing up, um, the majority of our vacations were actually um, on history trips. I mean, we would go somewhere and it, was be, it would always be based on some place in history and that's, that's what I would do. I remember going to Washington, D.C., and um, Anne is a great planner. She, was, um, she always just does a, a great job at planning vacations. And, okay, you've got this many hours to do this, and then we do lunch. We've got one hour. She was just awesome at that, and I'm not. Well, I got into Miss, the Smithsonian. I got into the, um, the aircraft uh, part of the Smithsonian, and I got lost there. I mean, I, I just spent hours. And I was, I'm the guy that reads all the plaques. You know, you don't just look around and see all the beautiful things. I actually read every one of those plaques. I'm just, I'm just that kind of a, a closet nerd, as I'm being told by my wife. Um, history is extremely important. Um, that's the reason that God's Word uses history many times to show us of, of failures and successes in, in adhering to God's Word. You see... Um, in studying history, it actually makes cars more reliable, if you think about it. The, per, the, the process and the progression of the United States of America because of the way that even our patent system works, it look, you look at history and then you see how an opportunity to make something, to make something better. There's a, um, a great um, philosopher that made the, made the statement, and this is what he said. He said, those who disregard history are condemned to repeat it. You see, the history is actually a window into the future. If a culture can change or rewrite history, they can corrupt and destroy the very foundation of a nation. Shortly after World War I, Germany was absolutely in shambles. There's a young man that came to the scene by the name of Adolf Hitler. He came to the scene as a leading member of what was called the Nazi Party. Seeing the weakness in, German, in the German government, Hitler attempted to overthrow the Bavarian government uh, through a revolution, hoping it would feed into Berlin. Well, it failed, and it cost him about five years in a prison. But during that time, Hitler sat down and he began to study and he began to write and he wrote a piece of work called Mein Kampf. 
And that work, and he also worked on his oracle skills, and he developed strategic planning on how to rise to power. You see, the time was right during that period of time. The economy was tanking, and he would not let a crisis go to waste. Heard that before, I'm sure. I'm not going to give you the whole plan of what he did, but however, I'm going to give you a few basic principles this evening that I believe is very, very relevant um, to where we are today in today's environment. First of all, Hitler took aid it in taking a weak economy and creating an economic disaster. Um, and he was successful that by driving it into hyperinflation. The way he accomplished this was he began printing worthless money. Hitler then began to create a government programs and jobs. He socialized nearly every aspect of the economy. The government became the people, people's savior. The next thing he did was the separation of church and state. Positive Christianity was the term. Positive Christianity. Remember, Germany was one of the beginnings of the Great Reformation. Hitler's philosophy was the church could be the church as long as it was within the four walls of the building. And the state would govern the people. You do church in church and the state will take care of the people outside these four walls. He openly befriended the church, but quietly he began scrubbing all forms of religious holidays, symbols from the public view. Speaking out against the government was deemed hate speech. He made allies with the church while diminishing the strength as a basis of religion. The next thing he did was this. He began training and education of children were, were then the responsibility of the state. I'm going to repeat that. Training and education of children were now the responsibility of the state, not the parents. He took prayer out of schools in all foundations of religious morality. The state dictated what was right and wrong. He imposed laws that made it nearly impossible for parents to either homeschool their children or to send them to a private school while imposing assessments that these children uh, could, could do well. In other words, he would take the assessments and if a child was homeschooled or educated through private schools, specifically church schools, he devised assessment programs where that they would not do well and fail in the assessment tests. Does any of this sound any even familiar? The state took full responsibility to teach children, and the state propagated the curriculum. The children were literally being brainwashed into Hitler's socialism. Today we see the exact same thing going on in the United States of America. The riots, the upheaval, the attacks on this nation is a re direct result of the public education system. It has been indoctrinating our young people for many years into anti-patriotic, anti-God, and anti-constitutional philosophies. Marxists are teaching our young people not to help be good Americans, but how to be good Marxists. And now we have politicians 
that are taking a knee to these Marxists. Speaking of taking a knee, I will tell you this. And, and, and my teachers know that's a hot button for me. They, they know it because I kind of almost lost it in a discussion with them. And, and nobody was questioning it. I just started thinking about it. In Ocala Christian Academy, the students will learn to respect our nation. Amen. They will learn to respect our flag. Amen. And they will learn to respect our God. Amen. And I make no bones about it. And I will not compromise that. A couple years ago, let me, let me back up. If you have a student, and I'm talking more online people, if you have a student in the public school system, there are Christian school teachers, there are Christian administrators, and they have a mission field. But I'm going to tell you what, you cannot, you cannot allow your child to continue eight hours a day in more than likely a godless, godless education system and expect something different on the outcome. You cannot do that. I'm sorry. It doesn't work. And you may say, well, my student doesn't go to one of the schools of lower learning. My, my student goes to, you know, a highly educated um, organization. Or it doesn't happen in Ocala, Florida. I hear that all the time. I've been all over, I've been to 67 school systems across the state over the years, and I have parents have told me, they say, Randy, I get what you're saying, but my school, they are not like that. I want to tell you what, I know what the curriculum is. I know what the curriculum is. I know what's being taught. It's this way every single county in the state of Florida, and it's in every place in our nation. I'll also say this, a, a, a couple years ago, I was, I was downtown Ocala, okay, this is Slocala, Florida, downtown, I was in my office, and I heard a bunch of racket going on, and I thought, what is that, what's going on? So I, I look out my window, and there's a protest going on, and it was a Second Amendment, they were protesting uh, the Second Amendment, basically, it's what they were doing. So. Me, this is my type of entertainment. So entertainment purposes, I grab a camera, grab a microphone, and take off down there. I'm going to start interviewing these people because I want to know what they're thinking. I, I just, I've got I've to understand where they're coming from. So I went down there and grabbed a microphone, and uh, this is Randy Osborne with Florida Government Watch, and I'd like to interview you. Do you mind interviewing? They see the camera, and they got the microphone. Man, they, they're ready. They're going at it. So... I'm going through doing interviews, and there, a lot of them are, are, are school kids. What I found out is they were busing them in uh, from other places in, in the state. Not all of them, though, but they were busing a lot of them in. And one, a, a couple teachers, uh, they were a little reluctant, and then they, they started talking to me, and they were teachers. They said that they were teachers in Ocala, and, and they gave me their names, and, and it's, you know, I've got this on, on video. So we went through and they started talking and they were, you know, they were, they were discussing, um, you know, why that, you know, um, the Second Amendment is so evil. And then they went on to say this, and this, I mean, it took me back so much that I, you could even watch me in the video, 
because I'm trying to keep my composure. You know, I'm trying to be very neutral, trying to interview these people. And she called gun owners white Christian terrorists. And it took me back. It was a, it was a, a two white teachers. It took me back, and I, I literally asked the question again because I didn't, I, I didn't really believe I heard what I heard. And she said it again. And we went on with the interview, and, and we had actually a couple of people opposing that, their belief or their view, and they were kind of interacting. I got done with that interview, and I, I posted it. Well, that evening, somebody called me and said, you know that, that teacher that you interviewed? That's my professor at a local college. You don't think it's happening here? It's happening here. Welcome to our education system. I'll go back to our text. The nation of Israel was wandering in the wilderness for, for 40 years. Just, they were just on the other side of the Jordan River, facing the promised land that God had promised them. God gave very specific instructions before they were to cross, into the, um, cross the river into the land. And one of these uh, messages is what our text was tonight, was in Deuteronomy 6. God is very, very serious about the responsibility of training our children. It is the parents' responsibility. It is not the government's responsibility. It is the parents' responsibility. As I would travel across the state and have discussions, um, one of the, the teachers, he was one of the top teachers in the state. He had gotten a lot of recognition for that. Very, very liberal in his uh, belief system. But I, I sat down with him and I said, tell me, what, what is the number one challenge that you had? I mean, the, the, our education system, we, you know, as, as a state, you are, you know, you are kind of taking responsibility of the child's education. He said, I know. I said, well, tell me what the problem, what is the number one challenge that you have? And this is what he told me. He said, the number one challenge is I cannot get the parents to get involved in their children's education. And I thought about that, and I thought, that is the problem. That is the problem. When the parents, over the, the, a period of time, have allowed our government to take over the responsibility of the education of our children. I cannot emphasize this more and enough, and, and if, you, if you hear me when I'm talking to parents, I, I try to encourage them and emphasize this. Ocala Christian Academy or any other Christian school or public school is not, responsi is not responsible for educating your child. You, the parent, is responsible for educating your child. You, the parent, is responsible for that. Now, what you do with that and how you delegate that out, that's between you and God. But God gave you that responsibility. He did not give the state the responsibility. He did not give the government the responsibility. He did not even give Ocala Christian Academy that responsibility. He gave the parent the responsibility to educate your child. Now, how you do that and how you come along with teachers of, 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 for example, Ocala Christian Academy and do that, that's okay. 
but you're responsible. When that child walks into a classroom and gets godless, Marxist instruction, God's going to hold you responsible for that. It would be you. You see, Ocala Christian Academy is not here for the education, though the education is top-notch. We strive for that. We push for that. We do everything in our power to, to help our teachers provide the best education for the young people. And though we have a, a great sports program, I'm not really sure that we'll be able to play this year, but we have a great sports program. That is not the objective of Ocala Christian Academy. The objective of Ocala Christian Academy is this, it's to come alongside the parents as a tool to teach our children a biblical worldview. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path, Psalm 119, 105. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Then Ephesians 6, 4, and, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Parents, I cannot emphasize this enough. You have one opportunity at this. You have a very, very small window. Um, young, young parents, please listen to me. You have one opportunity for this, and it's over. Um, I, cannot, I could not believe how fast that time went. But you need to get a hold of this concept, and you need to get serious about it. Our nation is depending on your young people. You understand what I'm saying? It's your, this nation is depending on your young people. You have one shot at this, one shot. I remember um, when my, my girls were, were little, they were still in the crib. I, I would go in and, and um, at, at night, I would go in and I would sit, I would, when they were sleeping, I'd go in and just, just cry out to God. God, do something great with them. Don't let me mess up. Don't let me mess up. Do something great with our kids. That's what I'm begging you guys as parents to do. Um, and I, I remember, um, Anne, the, the thing about raising kids, they come with absolutely no instructions. It's a, it's a, it's, I mean, you get a car and they've got this big manual, you know? I mean, everything they have, I mean, even if you get something from, from China, they've got, a, uh, they've got instructions. Of course, you can't read them, they don't make any sense, but you get them. Us guys, we don't read instructions anyway. I mean, that's just who we are. But as, as we started having, as we were raising our kids, I'm like, man, we, there's no instruction manual with this. What, what do we do? There is instruction manual with this. It's the Word of God. Amen. It is the word of God. And I remember um, Anne, she would, uh, she took this really seriously. She took it really seriously. She would read a passage in the Bible and, and that was geared toward, um, you know, how to raise children. So we got to do that. We got to do that. And um, she would um, 
take Bible verses and put them all over the place, everywhere. You couldn't turn anywhere in our house without a Bible verse being right in your face. Um, and I'm, I'm telling you, parents, we didn't do everything perfect. Okay, we failed because we're human. But I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, as parents and grandparents, um, you have one opportunity at this, and you do have an instruction manual, but you've got to use it. The second thing I want to uh, talk about is not only God requires it, but secondly, our founding fathers understood it. Benjamin Franklin said this, and I, I, it's ironic, Benjamin Franklin, um, the world would make you think that Benjamin Franklin was um, an atheist and a, a whole lot of other things. I don't know if Benjamin Franklin was a believer or not. I, I, I don't know. But this is, this is what he said. A nation of well-informed men who have been taught to know and prize the rights which God has given them cannot be enslaved. It is, the, it is, the, it is in the region of ignorance that tyranny begins. Abraham Lincoln said this, the philosophy of the classroom in one generation is the philosophy of government in the next. I want you to think about that for a moment because that's just what happened. That's what's happened. The riots, the, 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 uh, these movements that you see, Antifa, Antifa, whatever you want to call it this week, when you start watching that, that's coming out of young people and teachers and professors. That's where this is coming from. This is what they're being taught. The philosophy of the classroom, the schoolroom in one generation, is a philosophy of government in the next. Fisher Ames, he was a delegate to the Constitutional Convention. He was a co-writer of the First Amendment. He said, Bible should always remain the principal textbook in America classrooms. Its morals are pure, its examples captivating and noble. The Bible will justly remain the standard of, of language as well as faith. Uh, another, um, another founding father, Governor Morris, he was also a delegate to the Continental Congress in the Constitutional Convention. He said this, education should teach the precepts of religion and duties of man towards God. Benjamin Rush went on to say this in 1791, surely future generations wouldn't try to take out Bible out of schools. In contemplating the political institutions of the United States, if we were to remove the Bible in schools, I lament that we could be wasting so much time and money and punishing crime, and we'd be taking so little pains to prevent it. Welcome to America. Noel Webster, many of you would recognize that as a Webster Dictionary. I was never that familiar with the Webster Dictionary, and a lot of my people in my writings would prove that out. The Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. I could go on and on and on, case after case, of how our founding fathers believed that the only way that this republic could stand would be on the word of God. The basis of morality in this nation was the word of God. 
the basis of morality. Only a free people could self-govern themselves if they were moral and just people. As the people become less and less moral and less and less uh, just, there will be a government that will take that place, and it will not be of the people. Several years ago, I had the, I had the opportunity um, to escort some World War II veterans on an honor flight. This is several years ago. In fact, um, um, Dr. Bloom, actually, we, we had asked him if he, would, if he would like to go on that flight. He did not. But it's an organization um, that takes World War II vets to Washington, D.C., there are so many World War II vets that are dying so rapidly. Um, this organization believed that it would be a very, very great tribute uh, to, those, to those veterans to have an opportunity to do that. It was probably one of the greatest honors I have personally ever had. I had the privilege to be a part of that. And um, on that flight, <clears throat> there was a uh, first sergeant, Lemuel Gray. He had carried... Um, a flag, and it was an encased flag, it was folded up. And as those, as those soldiers, those veterans, those World War II, feeble, feeble, many of them on oxygen, many of them couldn't walk. Um, they had doctors and paramedics on these flights um, because, you know, because of all the physical issues that could happen. And Sergeant Gray stood there with that flag and he held that flag at attention. And I was watching that, and I'm like, I wonder what, I, I didn't know what it was about. And, and he held that flag at attention, and it was probably over an, an hour it took to get all those World War II vets into that plane. And he stood there at attention that entire time with that flag. And I thought, wow. So we, we got to D.C., and he came back off of that plane again, standing at attention, waiting for every single veteran to get off that plane and leave. And I walked up to uh, one of the, the sponsors of the, of the event, and I said, what, what, is that, what is that flag for? What, what, why is he standing at attention with that flag? He said, that is the soldiers that did not make it home. And you telling me, I mean, something that just tore my heart out. That's the soldiers that didn't make it home. And I would sit there and talk to these World War II vets, and I, you, you don't, a lot of times they won't talk about their story. A lot of them won't talk. And I, I would love for World War II vets, any vets, to tell their story. Because that story is history of what it took for this nation to stay free. See, Hitler was taking over every single government. He was coming after America. He was coming after every single area. He was coming after us. And those vets knew what it, knew what it cost them. And many of it cost them limbs. Many of them cost them their own lives. And how dare, how dare somebody disrespect those vets. How dare them disagree? A monument for those vets. How dare them? See, they gave, the, many of them gave an ultimate sacrifice so we can live in a nation to be free, so that we could be self-governed 
by the moral precepts of God's Word. And I stand tonight, I stand tonight committed not to allow those vets that died, or I'm sorry, those soldiers that died to die in vain. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to anyway. If you have served um, in our forces, in the armed forces, or if you serve in law enforcement and or fire, can you please stand? Thank you. Thank you, and God bless you. I also want to recognize another group. Of, of heroes and they're, they're teachers and I know that Ocala Christian Academy there's a large group of teachers here tonight and um, they are heroes and I, I'm going to go even further than that and I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart there are Christian teachers principals administrators that are in public school system those are mission fields those are mission fields those are heroes and, and the teachers that are teaching Ocala Christian Academy, you all are heroes. Amen. Many people don't know what they go through. Many do, people don't know the time that they spend preparing. And this year is going to be probably another edit because they're going to be doing online and they're going to be teaching the classroom at the same time, live. Live. Think about that. They're my heroes. And... Um, Thank you for your service to our nation, to be honest about it. Nearly 200 years ago, I'm sorry, back in 1962, if that was 200 years ago, that would make me really old. In 1962, the United States Supreme Court decided that it would be illegal for a teacher to lead in prayer in a school. Then one year later, the high court banned Bible reading in school. And in the very same year, a lot of people don't know this, but the very same year, they made it mandatory for evolution to be taught. So what they did is they took God they took his word and they removed it and they replaced it with another God. And that would be evolution. After 50 years of doing that, now our, now our kids have no basis of morality. They have no standard to go by. Everything is relevant. There's no standards of anything. Whatever feels good, do it. And we wonder how that's worked out for us. There's no moral foundation in which they can base decisions for in life. Let's see how it worked out for them. For our young people, 15 years before 1963, um, in girls ages 15 and 19, there were no more than 15 pregnancies outside of marriage per thousand, per thousand. After 1963, 
pregnancies increased 187% in 15 years. For younger girls, ages 10 to 14, pregnancies rose from 1963 and 15 years rose to 553%. Sexual transmitted diseases increased 226% in 12 years. Birth rates of unmarried mothers in 1963 were 6%. In 2010, 41% of children born today are to unmarried mothers, 41%. And our social system is funding that, welfare. Let's talk about the family for a minute. How'd that work out? 1963, divorce rates had been declining for 15 years. After 1963, divorce rates increased 300%. Since 1963, unmarried people living together went up 353%. Today, it's much, much more prevalent than this. It's, it's so common that it's not even looked at. It's not even thought about at um, many churches don't really want to engage that issue because everybody's doing it. This church does. It's an issue because it's sin because God's word says it is. Since 1963, single parent families uh, rose 160%. Let's talk about education. See how that worked out for them. Education standards were measured with SAT scores, even all the way back to 1963. From 1963, they rapidly declined for 18 consecutive years, even though the same tests had been used since 1941. In 1974 and 75, the rate of decline of the SAT scores uh, decreased, and in 1964, I'm sorry, 1974, 1975, there was an explosion of private religious schools. It was very, very, the, the principle, the very basis of that was a realization that we're in trouble, families are in trouble, Christian families are in trouble because their kids are being indoctrinated into something that is not a biblical worldview. Between 1974 and 19, between 1974 and 84, Christian schools increased by 32,000 uh, schools. It was, a, it was an absolute phenomenal, just they, they, went, they went crazy. And the reason being is because, very specifically, is because of the biblical worldview. Private schools um, have the average SAT scores were normally within 100 points higher than public schools, home schools, Homeschools was basically the same way, over 100 points higher in these SAT scores. Now, this is what's been happening in the past few years. The SAT and ACT test, they have slowly but surely geared those to fit an agenda and a curriculum 
that private schools, Christian schools, and homeschoolers have a very difficult time with. Now, didn't I mention back about an hour earlier about Hitler doing the very same thing? That's what's happening. That's what's happening. That's the war that we face um, every day. Even though that the public schools have, or, or the, the curriculum, the SAT scores are geared toward the public schools curriculum, the scores in public schools are still declining. Of nation's top academic scholars, three times as many come from private religious schools. That's a fact which operate one-third of the funds as do public schools. So three times as many private schools of the top academic scholars come out of schools, private schools, that have one-third of the funds that public schools do. Let's talk about the nation for a minute, see how that's working for us. 1963, violent crime has increased to 544 percent since 1963. Prior to that, it was, um, it was even. It was just level. Tell me, there's nothing that you can do, it can say, that it did not have a direct effect on everything I'm describing here is when God was removed. There's no basis of morality. Everything goes. Illegal drugs have become an enormous, uncontrollable problem in the United States. And I think I have people in here that could actually vouch for that because of the, the jobs that they are to fight things of that nature. And then the last thing about our nation is we have deprived over 60 million citizens through abortions through 1973. God help us. God help us. The purpose of Ocala Christian Academy is to aid parents in their God-given responsibility to help educate their children. There are many children that are being raised by single moms, single dads, relatives, grandparents. We have no idea what these children are really going through. The teachers and the church, we need to stand in the gap. Many of you will never know this side of heaven, the eternal outcome when you stand in the gap for these children. Central Baptist Church, Ocala Christian Academy, desperately needs you to stand in the gap. Bus workers are standing in the gap. Sunday school workers are standing in the gap. Master clubs workers are standing in the gap. Teen ministries, y'all are standing in the gap. You may be the only example of what a Christian home looks like. The church, you have to stand in this gap. It is a crisis that we're in, and you have to stand in the gap. America is a screaming for help. And the church is the only organization that has the answer, and that's the Word of God. There was a speech of a pro-life activist. Her name was, uh, she was pro-life, and she gave a speech. Her name was Penny Lee. 
And she was approached by this, this elderly man. He was weeping, just, just um, weeping profusely. And she asked him, says, sir, you know, can I ask you, why are, are you crying? What's upset? Why are you upset? And he told this story. He said, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. I attended church since I was a small boy. We had heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews, but like most people today in this country, we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what was really taking place. What could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we would hear the whistle from a distance and then the clacking of the wheels moving over the tracks. We became disturbed one Sunday when we noticed cries coming from the train as it passed by. We grimly realized that the train was carrying Jews. They were like cattle in those cars. Week after week, that train whistle would blow, and we would dread hearing the sound of those old wheels because we knew that the Jews would begin to cry out to us as they passed our church. It was so terribly disturbing, we could do nothing to help these poor, miserable people, yet their screams tormented us. We knew exactly at what time that whistle would blow, and we decided the only way to keep from being so disturbed by the cries was to start singing our hymns. By the time that train came rambling past the churchyard, we were singing at the top of our voices. If some of the screams reached our ears, we would just sing a little louder until we could not hear them anymore. Years have passed, this old man said, and no one talks about it anymore. And then he went on to say this, but I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help. God forgive us all who call ourselves Christians, yet we did nothing to intervene. Their screams tormented us. And some of their screams reached our ears, so we just sang a little louder. As a nation, we have been reaping exactly what we have been sowing for the past 50 years. In contrast, our Constitution was framed by writers in a way that they understood that man was not inherently good. It was written with the premise to protect man from government, not to protect the government from man. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, and who can know it? Then Romans 5.12 says this, What? Wherefore, as by one man centered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, we are all sinners. And we've all come short of that mark. See, there is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. But you see, also, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16. God sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus lived a sinless life and died on a cross. He rose again 
on the third day, so that we may be saved from our sin in a place, from a place called hell. It's a real place. I was talking to a pastor earlier today about um, people that were working in hospice, and they would, they would discuss how, how clear it was when a believer went home to heaven and somebody that was on their way to, have, to hell. And one of the people that I was talking to, one of the workers at the time said, very few people work in that organization, work in a hospice, are not believers because they see it every single day. If you don't know Jesus as your personal savior tonight, can be that night. And I would say this, Christian, church, are we just singing a little bit louder so that we don't hear the screaming for help from the world? Don't let another day go by without doing business for God. Let's pray.